0: We are back. Welcome to the Rack Show, the Responsible Armed Citizen Show. We are talking about all things responsible Armed citizens should know. Starting with firearms, firearms choices. We've talked a little bit about uh, you know the, the deciding what firearms to choose. We've talked a little bit about um, revolvers, semi-automatics. Talked a little bit about a quality firearm versus not. Let's talk a little bit about different types of ammunition, right? Because there is just an absolute slew of different types of ammunition um there's a lot of stuff that is you know marketed towards self-defense there's a lot of stuff that is uh maybe not so great Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, that is marketed towards self-defense but then we also have just that 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 um you know knowledge of oh well um uh, again i've heard people say this before again they talking about gun Store banner oh you just swap hollow point with uh ball ammo like training oh ammo. Like, you back just, to back, back to like back to yeah, back yeah, yeah just alternate them in a magazine something it. like that yeah um you don't do that but Mm-mm. um so let's talk a little bit about that so uh self-defense ammo what are the different types of ammunition out there what should i use for concealed carry
1: all right. First, I think we should identify training ammo, training ammo from full metal jackets. Right. So you're talking about a ball round that is generally plated with, you know, um, you know, a copper or something along those lines. Uh, sometimes they're lead free, but they're one solid ball round. Right. You know, th- those are meant for punching holes in papers, uh, flattening on steel. They're meant for punching holes in cardboard and, and, and perforating, um, you know cans in the backyard right. that's what they're meant for they're not meant for um, uh, self-defense because they they generally uh, pass through you know whatever it is that they're they're shooting including you know uh, harder um, you know harder material right. right so what we what we want is some type of ammunition that might, Expand on impact, slow down, and you know still have a, a good amount of penetration, but not over penetrate. Right. Because what, what we find in, in a lot of the self defense scenarios is that these are happening in the in public around people, and you know the last thing we want is to hit an innocent person. Um, so if we have been training, we've been doing the right thing. Uh, we want to make sure that we're carrying the right ammunition too, because otherwise we might have a good shot great placement and over penetrate and then hit you know an innocent an innocent person right so full metal jackets are meant for training uh, when you're when you're going to the, the the store to buy it I mean that's the that's the you know I don't know what they're going for right now I guess about 15, 15 16 sixteen dollar a box you know um Fiochi or uh, CCI blazer brass or whatever, that's, that's what you're going to find on the, um, on the shelves primarily. Right. And then you get into the, um, you know, the, the more specialized, um, ammunition into hollow points. The, the, the gun industry is still a, an industry that will market you to death. Right. Right. I mean, it's, they will say th- whatever it is that you want to hear, so that you'll buy the product. Right? It's just the way the industry works. It's just the way industries work. Right? And <clears throat> there are there are good hollow points to carry. Um, there are bad hollow points that, that are not necessarily proven at all.
0: Yeah, there's not there's not enough data. Right? Right? There's right. not enough information that's out there for them. Um, yeah, and and you know that's the thing, right? do you want to trust and carry a boutique round right a boutique you know um uh, hollow point something like that a boutique self defense round that may or may not do the job and how does that look in a court of law yeah right so these are all things all things to consider um so if you know you go back and you look at that you know the FBI gel penetration test right that's mm-hmm. that's really one of the standards and we'll talk a little bit about ballistics later but um, you know, it, it's uh, 12 to 18 inches and a, an expansion of at least one and a half times larger than the original diameter, right? right? So w- let's go out there and, and, you know, take a look, take a look at all the different, you know, brands that are out there on the market. Do they do that? Mm-hmm. And what data supports that? Um, so a really quick way of going through and looking and, and analyzing that, um, look at actual self-defense incidences. Look at what was actually used. Predominantly, what are we going to find? We're going to find information from police, yep. right? Especially for the civilian, right? Um, so, what does law enforcement carry? Why does law enforcement carry? Uh, it's because it's effective because it's been proven. Right. Um, <laughs> that's that's and and let me let me caveat that by saying, you know, it depends on the job. Depends yes. on it depends on you know the the law enforcement agency, right? So they're they're um, yeah. What works well for a state trooper who's shooting through a car, mm-hmm. right? More often than not, isn't necessarily the same as, you know, a beat cop. But um, again, there are some variances there. But regardless, you know, find that data, find that information. There's a ton of different places on, online that are credible sources that can provide that. Um, and, and, and stick with a reputable self defense company, right? right? A reputable um, self defense ammo manufacturer right. uh spear gold dot that's mm-hmm. one of my go-to's um that's that's i i that's you know what i prefer um there's some horny brands that are out there that are absolutely fantastic yep. right there, there there's some quality ammunition that's out there um as far as self-defense ammunition right um but we, i would i would steer I, I would be cautious about using some of these other boutique lesser known yeah brands um especially like you know the with the zombie killers and all this other kind of stuff right the the, that has has, i mean it has um interesting marketing right it has flashy marketing oh yeah that's if it could stop a zombie it could stop anything else you know that you know that kind of you know gamer fied idea but how is that going to look if you were to use that ammunition um and in self-defense right in a quarter law. Right, what yeah. is a jury of your peers going to think of that?
1: It's- when in when in reality, I mean, I know I know what ammunition you're talking uh, talking about, and it's the same. Like if you go to like the box over, and it's it's Hornady critical defense. Like It's all it is. It's just that instead of a red tip, a red okay. polymer tip, it's green, right? That's it. It's the same thing, but they're going to market it in such a way to try and get you to pay a dollar or two more for the, the green coloring. Uh, and that's it. Okay. But, so you, you got to be careful about, about these. Um, the, the other ones are the, like extremely lightweight ones. Yeah. You know, um, I the the idea is that this thing is just going to like, like crumble apart once it in, on impact, mm-hmm. and um, it in theory, you know, for somebody who doesn't understand ballistics or uh, hasn't studied this very long, um, it makes a little sense. Like it makes sense to them. Oh well, maybe it, it won't just stop. It'll crumble and dissipate and that type of thing. Now that's not. It'll spread the trauma. You know. Yeah.
0: Well, that's where we start getting into, like, the frangible and the copper. Yeah. You know, the the frangible ammo is ammo, ammunition that's predominantly used for shooting at steel. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when it hits steel, you can be a little bit closer than, you know, we'll say seven yards or something like that. You can you can get much closer to it. But it's it's a, it's a press powder. Mm-hmm. And so when it hits something hard, it just immediately just turns into a dust. Mm-hmm. Not that you should be breathing that in. But regardless, it's right. safer than shooting ball ammo, you know, close at a steel target or something like that. Um, I have seen where some companies market frangible ammo for use for self-defense, doing exactly what Mm -hmm. you're talking about. The idea is once it penetrates, it's going to break up and, you know, it's going to, you know, do more internal damage and cause cavitation, all this other kind of stuff. And you see the same type of marketing language with the 100% copper, you know, projectiles, um, where, again, kind of the same idea. Usually the the 100% copper projectiles are really Man, they're evil looking. Yeah. There's there's a, you know a lot of different shapes, uh, shapes a lot of machining that's that's happened to these copper projectiles. And again, the idea is, you know, it's going to create just a lot of cavitation, a lot of mm-hmm. you know a lot of internal um, you know damage. It's going to you know make this great big old hole. But again, where's the data? Right. There's a reason
1: the, the data for the all copper projectiles where, where that I, where I believe that that has come down from is the hunting world. Right. You know, the hunting world, they're um, especially the long range rifle shooters, they're all about these all copper um, projectiles. Um, they have much more they're much more accurate uh, and terminal ballistics on them are generally excellent for hunting. Um, I'm not so sure how I feel about them for self-defense purposes. Mainly because, as you said, there's just not enough data, you know, and, and if we're going off of, you know, different law enforcement, you know, uh, different law enforcement, uh, use adopt, yeah, adaptation, I mean, right. there's only, there's only a few that are out there that really have sufficient data for you to say, all right, this is a, this is an educated reason for me to carry this ammunition. That's why the majority of people will carry spear gold dot, or they'll carry federal HSTs, right. you know, um, That's really the two most popular um, and best performing cartridges on on the planet for law enforcement. So one of the best ways to you know to to be able to back yourself up in the court of law is, hey, I'm I'm carrying what my agency carries, you know, or my my local agency, you know, my local sheriff's department. I carry what they carry. So that's the reason why I chose that cartridge. Right you know? now, what about what about size? Does size matter? Like, should we should we should we should we, should we talk? Do we have enough time to talk about like nine millimeter versus forty five? I feel like that was that was done away with a long time ago. But I mean, I think we should bring it up. I don't know, man.
0: I'll talk about the internet. The internet is still on fire over nine mm versus <laughs> you know forty five. But Jeez. but uh, is there a difference? Uh, I, I mean. Physically, if you take a look at them, yeah, absolutely. Ballistically, what do you think? I mean, it was uh, the uh, I, I heard. Uh, I'll, I'll tell this quick. Uh, I had a, had a buddy of mine who was um, you know you know all hyped up over the forty five. He was like, "Oh yeah, the 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 you know pounds per, per square inch." I'm like, "Well, you're comparing it. It's a, it's a handgun, right? It's a hot piece of lead. It's not a frying pan flying out of the end of the firearm. Like it's not. That's it, not how this works." Stand.
1: <laughs> speaking of ongoing like just theories and stuff that have just have been you know they've been debunked years ago you look at the the idea of knockdown power knockdown power that is not a thing knockdown power like they determined that back in the 70s I read it I read an article um, inside of an old an old magazine um, um, written by uh, written by a gentleman who was talking about the science behind terminal ballistics and, and and just completely tearing apart the, this idea of knockdown power. You don't, when you get hit by a projectile, you don't literally get knocked over. People think that 45 ACPs are these like launching, you know, frying pans out of the end of your barrel at 950 feet per second. It's just not the way it works. But, you know, I, I feel like if we were to summarize, you know, is, smaller bullet or bigger bullet better. Try to, try to think of it more like this. Bigger bullet does make a bigger hole, Mm -hmm. but also makes a bigger bang and it's hard to control. Little bullet makes smaller hole, but smaller issues with recoil management, right? You can manage it much, much better.
0: You know, and, and something else. Uh, you know, the modern ballistics has come a long, long way. Yeah, there's a lot that has gone on with modern ballistics as far as how you know uh, certain cartridges work. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about that when we come back. All right. And welcome back to The Rack Show, The Responsibly Armed Citizen Show. I'm one of your hosts, Frank Corbath, and we are talking about uh, uh, different considerations when it comes to uh, firearms, uh, caliber. We talk about ammunition, uh, gun selection, all the fun things. In the studio with me is Tim... And uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about, you know, or continue our conversation about uh, different types of cartridges, different types of uh, uh, bullets for, you know, semi-auto versus revolver. Um, We'll talk about, you know, different caliber choices. Uh, So let's kick it off. Tim, what are the differences between revolver ammunition and semi-auto ammunition?
1: Okay, so you have... You have a couple of differences uh, there. Mainly, there's a there's a pretty big misconception on uh, you know nine millimeter being a a puny round as compared to like a thirty eight special, and and the misconception comes from the size of the cartridge. Right. What's what's really not considered um, by a lot of folks is that a lot of those gases are uh, forced out of the gun prior to the the the, the time that the projectile starts it exits the barrel, right. so it, it it goes out the forcing cone, Correct. And so that's so part of the reason why the the cartridge is so big is so it can account for that loss that loss of energy, right. So it's not necessarily true that a thirty eight special um, is more powerful or more better than a nine miller uh, nine millimeter. As a matter of fact, most of the time it it will not. It will not outperform a nine millimeter cartridge right. most of the time. Now, when you start looking at the magnum cartridges and stuff like that, like three fifty seven magnum, uh, that's that's when you start seeing a little bit more energy, mm-hmm. right? And I, I try not to say the word power because then people start assuming I'm talking about knockdown power. I'm talking about energy, you right. know, just you know the the, the transfer of, of of energy from one point to another. So um, when we're talking about 357 and let's talk about 357 magnum versus 38 special what's what are what's the major difference between the two
0: it's 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 the 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 amount of of potential energy that's inside the cartridge right so generally speaking um you know the the, there's a little bit of a length difference between the two cartridges right so there's just i mean it's just very it's very minute right? right very very small but there's uh, much more energy that's inside that 357, even though they're using the same projectile. Um, you know, same, same weight projectiles, generally speaking, are very similar, very close, in the same family. Um, 357, right? <laughs> right. So some, somewhere in that, in that neighborhood. Uh, but, but when we're talking about, you know, how fast, you know, how quickly... Uh, those uh, projectiles are moving through the air. when we start looking about you know our our, our different, uh, different parts of ballistics, right? so we have our interior ballistics, uh, we have our exterior ballistics and we have our terminal ballistics. Um, a three fifty seven typically can uh, will have much more going on for it at terminal ballistics than a 38 will. Right. and a lot of that has to do with how that interior and exterior ballistics are, you know, affected, right? right. So you have, again, more power, more powder, more uh, ammunition, et cetera. Um, but can you uh, safely use a three fifty seven and accurately, uh, precisely hit a target where you need to, you know, uh, regarding, you know, it's recoil and everything like that versus a thirty eight. You know, that, that's where it starts to get into, you know, it's an individual choice. And with modern ballistics, Tim, there's not too much of a difference. There is a difference, right? right. But there's not too much of a difference with modern ballistics. There, You know, these companies have been able to go through and uh, do rigorous testing on, you know, using the FBI as a standard, the FBI testing protocol as a standard to figure out, okay, what self-defense ammo should look like, what it should do, and how it's going to perform. And you know, is there a reason I need to rock a 357 a 44 mag? you know I'm
1: I'm, I'm not going after bear here so
0: right. you
1: know. so uh, I'd say let's just look at the the muzzle velocity in general for your typical uh, self-defense ammunition. we'll talk rim fire here in a little bit because but that's that's generally one that you don't it's, it's not very common for realistic, you know, concealed carry purposes, not very common. I say it doesn't have a place, right? But if you look at the muzzle velocity of a 357 Magnum, it's somewhere around 1500 feet per second. All yeah. right. That's, that's a, a lot of power. It's a lot of energy, right? If you look at the muzzle velocity of a 38 special, uh, 158 grain projectile, somewhere around 800. And then if you look at the typical, um, you know, nine millimeter, let's say 115 grain, it's around 1155. And we're all talking about this, the same size projectile. Essentially, it is the same size projectile. So what, what exactly is it we're trying to achieve with more power? You know, Mm -hmm. what, what is it we're trying to achieve if it's it's the same hole? And we look at what, for the purposes of concealed carry that is uh, when you, when you look at how how these pistol projectiles perform on on adversaries right it just pokes holes in things. That's it. It pokes holes in things. Yeah. would we like it to expand on impact and cause some type of, you know, temporal cavity and and that sort of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We would, we would love for that to happen, but it doesn't always work that way because, you know, bones and cartilage and all kinds of other stuff kind of get in the way. Yeah. Stuff, clothing, you know, it gets in the way. So when we talk about these, these different you know, muzzle velocities, it seems so appealing to say, I want this big Magnum, you know, cartridge. That's why you got guys wanting to carry 10 millimeters around and, right. you know, the 44 Magnums and stuff. Guys. Pass-through the real thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's really not realistic. You want a cartridge that still has great performance, right, in terms of, uh, you know, ballistics, uh, as, as far as ballistics are concerned. You want a cartridge that can perform, but, you know, n- not be overbearing. Right. You know, you want to be able to control this thing. See, and, and I really think that that's the biggest piece of that, right, is it's control.
0: You know, you have control of yourself and you have control of, of the situation. You know, you may be using a force multiplier to do so, but if you can't control that force multiplier, Yes. then you are putting yourself and everyone else around you and the people down the street and around the corner and, you know, yep. in danger. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I really think that that's a piece that a lot of people miss. Yep. Um, they, they focus too much on, I want the biggest, the loudest, the you know, nastiest fire breathing dragon ever. Right. But they don't want to consider, they don't actually want to go and put into practice and actually train and actually shoot, you know, yeah. their, their, okay. their concealed carry piece. Um, you know it's expensive shooting. You know, boutique rounds or, or you know bigger cartridges all the time. Yeah. You know, if I want to compare, like the we'll bring the forty five versus nine millimeter conversation back up. Um, I can train a lot more with nine millimeter than I can with forty five. Yeah, because of cost, yeah. it just cost alone, right? it has nothing to do with the actual ballistics of the cartridge. Right, nine mm is cheaper. Um, same thing, three fifty seven versus uh, thirty eight special. Right. Well, not a uh, thirty eight special is going to be way cheaper to train with. 38 special versus 9mm. 9mm is going to be way way cheaper to train with. But there is a point of diminishing returns. 22, 17 HMR. 22 is dirt cheap. Right. I mean, you can find 22, I mean, you can buy a ton of 22, right. you know, for rather cheaply. But is that a good cartridge, that rimfire cartridge, 17 HMR, 22, is that a good cartridge to
1: I'm, consider I'm, carrying? I'm going to steal consumer? a line from you. It depends. <laughs> it it, it <laughs> depends. You know, uh, I try to steer away from, from that, uh, you know, that mindset of, you know, carrying rimfire uh, at all costs, especially in semi-automatics. Because if you've shot 22 long enough, you know that they fail. You're going to run into misfires. So that's a gun that you really, or a cartridge, you really need to have to prepare for, be it 22, 17 HMR, doesn't matter. They're all rimfire. Rimfire has problems and you're going to experience stoppages. I would rather have a stoppage in a revolver than I would in a semi-automatic. Absolutely. So, you know, 22s carried for self-defense in the form of a revolver are actually really, you know, it's a really good choice. can be a really good choice. Uh, It's not my first choice, but I do have one and I have actually carried it around, but I can hide that gun really, really well, Mm -hmm. right? really well. And that's probably one of the reasons why I carry it. But anyway, moving on, Hey man, let's talk about the competency of the month because I mean, we've, we've actually been talking about it essentially, but I really, I want to make it a point to identify, uh, what it is that's on our minds, uh, on, as far as the competency of the month, um, this month. So for those of you that haven't been listening, um, the competency of the month was originally developed for an in-house like uh, overview of different topics, uh, and, and our cadre study these topics every month, uh, just in order to get more information and be able to translate that information to our student bases. So that's the way it originally started, and in, in, since we started the show, we thought we'd share it with you. So the Comp C of the Month this month for September is functions of a cartridge or shell and the phases of ballistics. So we've been touching on it over and over and over again. I first want to point out the functions of a cartridge. Um, the The actual issues with center fire versus rim fire. I'm just going to point that out since we don't have a whole lot of time. Center fire cartridge has a primer in the center of the the case, right? So the 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 center, and you can you can actually remove that primer and replace it. Those those are uh, reloadable, right? A rim fire cartridge is more like a 22 or a 22 long rifle, 17 HMR, 22 Magnum, that type of thing, where the primer is contained around the rim of the case. So what makes that problematic is the centerfire. the cartridge is struck by a hammer or a firing pin or a striker or something along those lines. And it's the priming compound is in one specific location, one spot on the rim, rim fire, it may be in that spot where it can, uh, the, the striker As connects long with the manufactured
0: correctly. <laughs> yeah, it
1: might. And then it might not. And most of the time there, there's a lot of might nots. Right. So, um, we talk about the, uh, we'll talk about a little bit more about it in depth in the next show, but I really wanted to point that out, especially when you're talking about you know, concealed carry, you want to make sure that you have reliable ammunition, uh, something that you know that you can rely on. Um, And and, and there's good rimfire ammunition out there, don't get me wrong, but it's not enough for me to trust it 100% of the time.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, You know, if you you take a look online, there's a lot of, you know, um, uh, really good content as far as, you know, rimfire and, you know, people that use particular type of rimfire ammunition. And, you know, you can look at cases. There are actual cases where rimfire was used in self-defense. As my go-to, as my immediate, like my knee-jerk, hey, this is what I'm going to carry. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Uh, Frank's not. But you know, it's, uh, it's your decision, and uh, it's, it's your responsibility. You'll be listening to the Response to Armed Citizen show. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next week. And welcome back to the Rack Show, the Responsibly Armed Citizen Show, where we talk about all everything the Responsibly Armed Citizens should know. Uh, today we have a fun topic. We are talking about the best handgun for concealed carry. So this is going to be a little bit of a spicy one. A uh, lot of opinions here. In studio with me, I have uh, Mr. Kelly, Tim Kelly of Apache Solutions. Tim, how are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I am fantastic.
1: So... Best handgun for concealed carry. Let's open this can of worms. Oh man, this is going to be a long one. This is going to be. A, this is definitely going to be a long one. I don't know. Um, I'd say one of the more common things, the common thoughts that you hear from people is, uh, it's the one that that you have on you, mm-hmm. right? The the best gun for concealed carry is the one that you have on you. I I don't necessarily know that I subscribe to that type of mentality. No, because there's there's all types of different guns mm-hmm. out there yep. um, and, and not all of them um, are, are really ideal ideal right yeah man. I mean there there are some and it's and it's funny because people will kind of make stuff up in their minds of you know this makes sense this this teeny tiny little gun I can just stick in my pocket yep. and it'll it makes sense I'll have it on me should I need a gun it's there but it's also inadequate Like it's not, um, it doesn't have a sufficient size, like as far as caliber goes, it doesn't have, um, a sufficient capacity. Uh, you can't quickly access it. You know, there's, there's all types of things that, that can go wrong with this idea of the best concealed carry gun is the one that you have on you. Right. You know, I'd say if we're gonna add anything to that, because um, I do agree, you have a gun on you, you need right? to have a gun on right. You, right? But I would add maybe you should um, train with it and have evaluated its performance to some reasonable metric, right? Right? I mean, can you can you pass? I don't know the FBI qual with it. Right. right? Can you can you do well, that?
0: Well, it's something else to also consider, <laughs> you know, when when we start talking about you know d- different handguns and things like that, and um, yeah, you know, concealed carry in general is a compromise. Right? You're compromising sure. something. Right? You're compromising maybe a little bit of comfort. You're compromising a little bit of um, maybe in some cases mobility. So you you have to weigh what works best for you and what most likely right is is going to happen. You know, if anything, right. um, you know we're we're not promised another day. Right. And so having that mindset and, you know, as we talk about in other shows, you know, make, having a clear idea of what our mission is, um, you know, what tools am I going to have, at, you know, available to me that's going to help me com- complete that mission. Now, I think, you know, I, as you know, I am an absolute sucker for interesting firearms. Right? Yeah, I, I, I end up picking <laughs> up all kinds of interesting things and, and, and you know, oh, this is cool. I wouldn't carry everything I've ever purchased. Right. Um, You know, there's definitely range toys and, you know, some things that I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Let me go play with this a little bit and figure out why other people buy them. And, okay, now I know why other people buy them because they're cheap. But I will not trust this gun to cycle when I need it to or to work when I need it to. Um, But you're right, right? Uh, Think of... Like the, uh, those, uh, like the Derringers and things like that. Right. Man, so that's... I,
1: I've got like a special place in my heart for those guns. For some reason, I am so intrigued by them. Right. I've wanted to buy, <clears throat> excuse me. I wanted to buy one of those Bond Arms, yeah. um, Derringers, you do know, one want to chamber in a like 45 long Colt right. and 410 or something right, like that right. just because, right. you know. Because America. I, yes, exactly. <laughs> No, I mean, if I were to get one, I'd say like nine millimeter or 38 or something like that would probably be best, but I'd, I've always wanted one of those. They're fun to shoot. Yeah. Right. And I
0: mean, that, and that's the thing. They're fun to shoot. They're really neat to look at. Um, you know, it's definitely something like, you know, when you're in a safe environment, we can't, when you can chill off, yeah. you know, some of this stuff, it's like, oh, man, check this out. This is pretty neat, but that's all it is. Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting. It's cool. It may be yeah. fun to shoot. But what's the practicality, you right. know, of uh, actually using that and implementing that in a concealed carry regimen? Um, you know, the, the, the phrase that I hear more often is, uh, get off me gun right? Oh yeah. Oh, I, I'm here all the time. Yeah. This is my get off me gun. And it ends up being a little like a little, you know, 22 or a little, yeah. you know, 17 HMR, a little De, uh, De, uh Derringer, those folding pistols, they oh, got yeah. the credit card folding pistols. They got real popular a few years back. That, uh, that folding pistol was the one gun that I purchased and immediately regretted my decision, got rid of it. Yeah. Like I don't get rid of stuff. But that particular folding—I don't even remember the manufacturer now—but that little fold folding credit card size twenty-two, it just is unsafe. Yeah. Right. Open, you know, uh, open trigger guard. I mean, it was just there's a lot of things about it. It's right. You, know, you got to fumble with it in order to cock it. I mean, it's just not. It's not not ideal. Right.
1: Um. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that
0: are out there that that are like that. Well,
1: I mean, when people talk about a get off me gun, right? They're talking about if somebody makes physical contact with you right. and is on top of you pummeling you you think you're going to access your firearm through your pocket while somebody is on top of you hurting you or pinned you up against a wall hurting you or right. is you know you know ripping you through the the you know side of your car some some type of violent act you think you're going to have time to access it? Even if you think you're going to have time to access it, these derringers and and uh, the these smaller guns, they're they all require that you cock the hammer before you press the trigger. Right. They're not double action. They're single action only. So you would have to not only access the gun, but get it pointed in the general direction of your adversary. Cocked the hammer and then pull the trigger there's a lot of stuff that can happen oh, all while time. being
0: pummeled yeah exactly right. yeah.
1: there's a lot of stuff that can happen in that time like it, them getting access to your gun right you know and then maybe you get the hammer cocked and it's no longer pointed at them it's pointed at you because when you're talking about fighting in, in close proximity you know if you bring a gun into that fight you no longer have a gun Right. we have a gun right you know that both parties have that have access to that gun because they can reach it they can get their hands on it so the whole the, the, the mindset of the get off me gun just doesn't make any sense so what's the uh, what's the best handgun for concealed carry it depends right <laughs> I, I,
0: it's, 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 it's complicated yeah. right um, I think it is an individual's choice and it, it ha- relies heavily on you know again what you're your comfort level, your body size, your right. build, um, male, female, there's other things to consider there, right? So male, we don't, you know, uh, females tend to have wider hips, males, not so much. All of that plays a factor in, as far as how to carry, where to carry, um, clothing choices, uh, the, um, uh, we I think we're a little bit later, we may talk about, You know, ammunition choices and ballistics, capacity. Right. There's a lot of different things that are out there. Uh, For me, um, you know, I've been called a Glock fanboy. I'm (laughs) by no means a Glock fanboy, but I do happen to carry a a Glock firearm. Yeah. And uh, that's because... It works for me, right? I've, I've had thousands, thousands, thousands and thousands of training rounds through that firearm. Like I know how it's going to react. I know how to use it and I'm comfortable with the way that I carry it. I'm comfortable with the gear and the holster and you know, the, the placement of that. And so that's what my choice.
1: Yeah. You know, and I, I too primarily carry a Glock. I also have been known to carry a SIG from time to time. Yeah. Um, I will say the opposite of this. You know, the best gun to carry is the one that you have on you. That that mentality. The, the polar opposite opposite end of that spectrum would be the fanboys. The right. you know Ford versus Chevy type folk. Right. That you got to carry a Glock, or you. Yeah, got to carry a nineteen 1911 is the only way to go. You know, yeah. something like that, and, and it's just not. That's not realistic either. You're absolutely right. It's really dependent on the the person that's carrying it, their environment that they're they're in the most, and you know their their reasoning.
0: Yeah. So. No, hundred percent. I mean, and there's there's varying different reasons for why you wouldn't want to carry one firearm over another. Um, size right. fitment. I mean, there's a lot of different things. Um, yeah. I mean. Uh, Revolver versus semi-auto. I think that that's that's a fantastic topic I definitely think that's something we should talk about. Let's Absolutely. talk about that. Let's get on that after the break We'll uh, we'll be right back and uh, we'll continue the responsive armed citizen show
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. My name is Tim Kelly and I'm with Frank Horvath. We are talking on the responsibly armed citizen show and uh the topic today we're talking about the best handgun for concealed carry we've talked about just some different ideas uh different thoughts and theories out there that exist uh right now we're discussing revolver versus semi-auto so yeah which type of handgun would you prefer to carry frank so my absolute preference
0: is semi-auto. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but again, yeah, it's something that we hear real uh, regularly from students. Um, they, they, students that, that haven't trained with us, right? In the, sure. Those initial touch points. Um, you know, the differences between the two. Because, you know, for some people, a revolver may be absolutely perfect. Yeah. But let's, let's knock some, some common tropes out of the bat like right now. Let's take care of something. Mm-hmm. Um, is a revolver more reliable than a semi-automatic handgun.
1: Absolutely not. No. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why? Why? No. Um, it's. It's. Uh, uh, th- the revolvers are a lot more finicky, um, and pe- there is a there is a common misconception that revolvers are just easier. Yeah, you know, no matter what, when I pull the trigger, it's going to go bang. Unlike a semi-auto, um, you know, they can. Th- there's just that confusion there. Uh, it, that's that's not always true. There's all kinds of like intricate components inside that revolver that can cause some. Absolutely, cause some issues, and, and it will. And you
0: know, I compare it to uh, like a clock, right? Mm-hmm. So there's all these mechanisms, there's all these different springs, there's all this timing that has to work it's just absolutely perfect in order for that revolver to go back. right? Now, more often than not, that it will, but with um, uh, with improper maintenance, with just you know, take, purchasing of a revolver, throwing some ammo in it, and this you know, slamming it in a purse or something like that, the likelihood that that gun is going to be you know functional usable when you need it to use uh, it's not it's not going to be 100 you know, percent. Yeah, we got some other issues that that, that you know we should, we'll talk about another time but um you know the the common misconception or misperception excuse me that you know a revolver is is more reliable than semi-automatic it's not true right um yeah, there's there, there's a lot to it. Now, there are absolutely time and place for a revolver. Sure, um, yeah. I I I often carry a revolver. Um, de, it, again, it depends. Um, revolvers uh, are especially smaller revolvers, uh, mm-hmm. like the five shot little snubbies. Um, if you're in um, formal attire, right? Mm-hmm. If you're at you know maybe even church or something like that. If you're in uh, a, a environment that um, it may be difficult to conceal mm-hmm. a. A, a, a regular firearm or full size firearm, um, they're, they're absolutely good uh, options. Right. Um, again, time and place, it depends. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, train with it, figure yeah. out, make sure that you can control it. You know, that's the other thing, um, you know, again, often we hear about. You know, a husband will go out, and I think we've said on the show before, a husband will go out and buy a little airweight 357 or whatever for you know a revolver for their spouse, mm-hmm. and I'll, you know because you know c- cocking you know a, a five pound slide is more challenging than pressing a you know 17 pound trigger, <laughs> but you know that 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 uh, again that's a common misperception, something that we see yeah. often.
1: And uh... one of of the things that that I hear the most is, well, I got her that handgun because it's easy to shoot. Uh, How have you determined that a revolver is easier to shoot? A double action, shooting a double action revolver is 100 times more difficult than shooting a semi-automatic handgun. It is not easy to shoot. Right. Um, I, I'm, I'm not. I've never been a revolver guy. I, I, I love them. I, it's kind of like the Derringer thing. I've I've got this like mad attraction to them, and I want them all. Mm-hmm. But I I have a hard time, even though I, I try really hard, have a hard time finding an occasion for me to carry a revolver mm-hmm. over a semi-auto. Mm-hmm. I do personally. Yeah. Um, now. I still, I still have uh, barbecues and stuff like that Mm -hmm. around the house. It's nice to have that, you know, option, you know, have that option or something, or as you said, a while ago, having like a backup snubby or something like that on the ankle. It's great. But if, if you actually train one, the one of the things that you'll, you'll learn really quick is is just how difficult pressing the trigger on a double action revolver is as compared to that of a, um, you know a, a center fire you know striker, uh, fire, striker fired right. semi automatic a glock or a sig or something like that, it's much more difficult much right. more difficult right No, I, I completely agree completely
0: agree um and and okay okay so so the you know revolver versus uh, semi auto then they're, they're that, that i think i think we've pretty much squashed that yeah um but uh, let's talk about. I mean, there's there's so many different firearms that are out there, right? There's so many different firearms that are marketed towards you know a particular you know group of people or particular individuals or whatever it may be. Um, how do we how do we filter through that? How do we figure out what is a quality firearm? What does that look like versus maybe a more budget friendly firearm? Because yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. Sure. I don't want to say that that they're necessarily subpar. They in, in some respects they are, um, when comparing them to a, like a quality firearm, something that you'd use for concealed carry. Um, but what does that look like? Where do we start with that?
1: Right. I think everybody wants, to, especially this day and age, when everything is just so damn expensive. Right. You know, everything is so expensive. People want to get the best bang for their buck. No pun intended. You know, they want they want to buy the, the cheap. A uh, cheap firearm because the eh, chances of me having to use this thing, you know, mm-hmm. slim to none. I'll just toss it in the glove box and I'll be good, right? Yep. That's a whole nother topic, but if if you're going to purchase that firearm, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna spend, um, you know, if you're gonna spend a nickel instead of a dime, evaluate it. You you have to hold it against some type of realistic metric. performance metric, yeah. right? You, you you have to. Um, And one of the things, if you're, if you don't know what is, um, what is, what quality looks like, I I, honestly, I think one of the best places to go to find that is go to, um, filsterholsters.com and see what holsters they make or what, what, what guns they make holsters for. Um, go to Henryholsters.com. Same thing. Go to, you know, Look for the quality holster company. Yep. They will tell you what a quality firearm is, what the more the top performing, you know, the most reliable guns that are on the market, because they're making holsters for them. Right. They're not wasting their time on the the weird, you know, um, you know, off, right, yeah, you know, yeah, off brand, or off brand, off brand guns. Yeah. So, um, so you know, going going
0: back and talking a little bit about that. Um, we used to, again, teach concealed care classes pretty regularly, um, at least once a month. And there's a, used to joke all the time, oh, you know, is this a sky pistol or a high point pistol or, you know, whatever it may be. And then you get out to the range and guy brings out a sky or a high point pistol, right? so you used to crack and make jokes about that. I've had to back that down because there is time and place for that, right? So again, budget, but budget's a big piece of that, but should you re... Should that or let me back let me back that up. But just piece of that, or just knowledge. Right? right. They may ju- they may just not know. Right. Um, so regardless of that, um should you re- should you use that firearm in defense for your life? It, it depends. You know, I, I don't know if I would regularly carry that. I don't know if that's something that a regular user can still carry just for me and my training, my knowledge, you know, where, where I'm at today. Um but if uh, it, it gets to the point where y- you you need to understand, you need to, you need to train the firearm, you need to figure out how it works, why, why, how it functions, and if there are going to be any pitfalls with using a firearm. Is it going to cycle reliably when you need it to cycle? Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's, that's pro- probably one of the biggest pieces of it.
1: Yeah. I, I want to tell our listeners that, you know, go out and get yourself a, a handgun that, that is within your budget, right? And spend the money on training. Yeah. I want to say that, but there is, (laughs) there is, there is a problem with that too, because if you spend your money on a cheaper firearm and you go and, and, and try to spend the rest of your money on training and learning how to use it, what happens when it fails and it breaks? Well, you know, then you're spending your money again. Fixing it, right. taking it to a gunsmith, having them fix the problem and then going back out training and waiting for it to break again. Right. And so that's that's the hard part there, man, is I, I have a hard time. Um, I have a hard time recommending a a, a um, cheaper firearm. Right. Um, a budget gun or something like that, because I know they're going to break. I, we, right. We've seen it happen over and over and over again in our classes. Yep. Um, guns and gear break. It just happens. And, and something else is, you know, especially those those cheaper firearms,
0: at some point during your training journey, especially if you're training regularly, that gun is going to hold you back 100%. Right. Yes. Um, think of like um, the old LCRs or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. They have just absolute heavy garbage trigger. And at some point during your training, I'm not saying it right out the gate as an, a, a novice shooter, new shooter. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But as you start to push that envelope of your skills and your capability like really pursuing like regular training and really understanding what a you know a good trigger press and everything looks like at some point you know you're going to start having issues with you know that that trigger control you know what yeah. you're what you've been used to doing for so long you know, with, um, and potentially even creating some training scars to use this particular firearm. Now, when you get into something that's a little more quality, you may discover, wow, I've been using this particular firearm, this particular way for so long, and it just doesn't work. It's, it was a, it was a handicap and it's holding right. me back. Right. You know, I can't chase those faster split times, whatever maybe, may be, because I mechanically, I just, I can't physically do it. Like yeah. I can't work the firearm quick enough. Right. Um, so again, there's there's another reason why you know if you know, figure out that budget, all right, set that budget, but try and and go to that upper end of that budget if at all possible. Yeah. You know, try and stay away from from you know the bottom
1: end of those firearms. Well, man, I mean that's part of the reason why we started this show to begin with is is it's hard to have that foresight of you know what problems that you might run into in the future right. should you buy a handgun and and carry it around to defend yourself. You know, it, it's hard to. to to have that foresight, if you haven't been, you know, formally introduced to what training real training looks like, right. you know, and, and you don't have the knowledge of, you know, what guns are working, what guns don't, you know, what's reliable and what's not. Um, and there's, there's just so much that goes into it. And then there's so much gun store banter that, that kind of leads the conversations most of the time right now. Right. And, and as we talked about earlier, it, it a lot of times it misdirects people, you know, it, it it directs them in in the wrong direction. And, you know, based off of theories that just don't make any sense or concepts that don't make any sense.
0: Yeah. And again, talking about the gun stores, you know, the guy who's standing behind the counter of a gun store isn't necessarily the point of authority you should be listening to, yeah. you know, for, to to make, you know, to purchase a firearm. Not always. Um, not always. Sometimes. Sometimes, Sometimes. yeah. yeah. yeah I, it's Again, I, I, we're, yeah. stay away from, you know, never and always. or yeah. <laughs> um, But, you know, at some point, you, know, you really need to put the firearm in your hand and you need to test and you need to play and you need to try and figure out things for yourself. Uh, you've been listening to The Rack Show. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm not afraid of